I'm super excited for um, our events coming up, and I hope that you are as well. Uh, we do those in order to... We, my goal, especially with the Galentine's night, though I'm not going to be there, is that you ladies would grow in fellowship with one another around the word, around good things, especially while the world is obsessing over uh, relationships and their version of love. You get to come around together and celebrate Christ and just friendship. So sign up, go to that. It's going to be wonderful. My wife has been preparing for that. She will be speaking and um, you will be blessed. Um, and then also the Young Adults Conference at the end of the month. So it's going to be awesome. Many of you were there last year. It was epic. Um, we will have more and more Chick-fil-A this year. And uh, it's going to be a wonderful event. So I'm excited. More to come on that. Let me draw your attention to 1 Kings chapter 2. We are in the middle of a series titled The Rise and Fall of King Solomon. And we're kind of in the rise section. We're going to be in the rise of King Solomon for a while Uh, We started that last week. We saw his coronation as king, though it didn't come easily. It came with uh, (laughs) some trouble, some family drama, as his older brother Adonijah tried to uh, usurp the throne and uh, just assumed his kingship. He exalted himself and ultimately ended up being humbled. And Solomon is now the king. And so now we're in chapter 2, and the title of my sermon is Securing Peace in the Kingdom. It's a new kingdom, new king, and now we're going to see this idea of securing peace in the kingdom. And uh, this week, I'm going to read the whole entire passage, okay, so that you understand the, the, the plot, what's going on, and then we're going to dissect it and apply it to our lives, okay? So 1 Kings chapter 2, you guys there? Ready? 46 verses, all right, you got this. I'm going to do my best to try to read it, Um, read it well. All right. When David's time to die drew near, remember last week, he's old and cold and he's dying, right? Uh, When David's time to die drew near, he commanded Solomon, his son, saying, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. Here are his last words. Be strong and show yourself a man. And keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways, son. And keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules, and his testimonies. As it is written in the law of Moses. That you may prosper in all that you do. And wherever you turn, that the Lord may establish. Key word here. Okay, we're going to see that four times. May establish his word that he spoke concerning me, saying... If your sons pay close attention to their way to walk before me in faithfulness with all of their heart and with all of their soul. Sounds like a command Jesus gives. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul. There you go. So they have to walk before me in faithfulness with all their heart and all their soul. What's the blessing if you do this? You shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel, an eternal kingdom. Verse five. Moreover, you also know Joab, the son of Zariah, he was one that helped Adonijah usurp the throne in chapter 1. Joab, David's old commander, you know what he did to me and how he dealt with the two commanders of the armies of Israel in First and Second Samuel. The first was Abner, the son of Ner, and Amasa, the son of Jether, whom he murdered. 
avenging in a time of peace for blood that has been shed in war and putting the blood of war on the belt around his waist and on the sandals of his feet. Joab literally like tricked these two men and as they were talking, slid a sword and dagger out of his out of his arm and stabbed them in the stomach and he died. So he murdered both these guys. Verse six, what is he to do with Joab? Act therefore according to your wisdom, but do not let his gray head, must be an old guy here, his gray head go down to Sheol in peace. Now deal loyally with the sons of Barzillia, the Gileadite, and let them be among those who eat at your table. For, for with such loyalty, they met me when I fled from Absalom, your brother. They showed much hospitality to David when his son, Absalom, was trying to take over the throne. Verse 8. So this third person. And there also with you Shimei, the son of Gera, the Benjamin, Benjaminite from Bahiram, who cursed me with a grievous curse on the day when I, met, when I went to Mahaniam. But when he came down to meet me at the Jordan, I swore to him by the Lord saying, I will not put you to death with the sword for cursing me. Now, therefore, Solomon, do not hold him guiltless for you are a wise man. You will know what you ought to do with him and you shall bring his gray head down with blood to Sheol. Then David slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. And the time that David reigned over Israel was 40 years. He reigned seven years in Hebron and 33 years in Jerusalem. So Solomon sat on the throne of David, his father, and his kingdom was firmly established. Firmly established, okay? So this is the first section. It's the shorter section. And we see David gives two charges to Solomon. The first is to obey the Lord, obey his commandments. The second is to take out some political enemies and to show loyalty to one of them, okay? We're caught up, David dies, the kingdom is firmly established. Verse 13, second half here. You're going to see four people, four threats to the kingdom here that Solomon must deal with to secure peace. First is our boy Adonijah here from last chapter, who already tried to usurp the throne. This is Solomon's older brother. Then Adonijah, the son of Haggith, came to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon. Doesn't go to the king. He didn't do that last chapter. He goes to Bathsheba, the woman, the mother of Solomon. And she said, do you come peacefully? She's a little worried there. He said, peacefully. I don't know if she really trusts him. Then he said, I have something to say to you. She said, speak. He said, you know that the kingdom was mine and that all Israel fully expected me. He's being dramatic, obviously. He's kind of bitter that the kingdom is nigh his. All Israel fully expected me to reign. However, the kingdom was turned about and became my brother and has become my brother's for it was his from the Lord. And now I have one request to make of you. Do not refuse me. And Bathsheba said to him, speak. And he said, please ask King Solomon. He will not refuse you. You know, it's kind of like when dad tells you no, and then you go to mom to see if she'll say yes. It's kind of like the same idea here, all right? And I just being a little sneaky. Um, <laughs> um, where are we here? Verse, um, verse 17. Please ask the King Solomon, he will not refuse you, to give me Abishag, 
the Shunammite as my wife. Now, anyone from last week remember who Abishag is, right? That is the human heater for David, right? That was the, the very pretty virgin that they brought in to keep him warm. This was one of David's concubines, all right? Just leave it at that. So Adonijah is asking for Abishag's hand in marriage. And Bathsheba says, very well, look at verse 18, I will speak for you to the king. Verse 19. So Bathsheba went to King Solomon to speak to him on behalf of Adonijah. And the king rose to meet her and bowed down to her. Then he sat on his throne and had, and, and had a seat brought for the king's mother. And she sat on his right. Then she said, I have one small request to make of you. Do not refuse me. And the king said to her, Make your request, my mother, for I will not refuse you. She said, Let Abishag, the Shunammite, be given to Adonijah, your brother, as his wife. King Solomon answered his mother, And why do you ask Abishag, the Shunammite, for Adonijah? Why don't you ask for him the kingdom also? For he's my older brother, and on his side are Abathar, the priest, and Joab, the son of Zariah. They've already tried to take me out. Verse 23, then Solomon swore by the Lord saying, God do so to me and more also if this word does not cost Adonijah his life. Now there's something that Solomon sees that maybe you don't see on the surface, but Adonijah, this was a second attempt to try to usurp the throne, to get the kingdom back by asking for one of David's concubines in marriage is pretty much like asking for the kingdom in those days because she belonged to David. So in those who have David's wives as their wives, then pretty much the kingdom is yours. Kind of weird stuff, but anyways, he's trying to usurp the throne, all right? So Solomon loses it. He's like, why don't you give him the kingdom as well? This, this little slithery guy is trying to take over again. He's, he's a little slimy here. Verse 24, he says, Now therefore, as the Lord lives who has established me, who establishes kings? It's the Lord. And has placed me on the throne of David, my father, and who has made me a house. So that really is a dynasty. Has he promised Adonijah? As he promised, Adonijah shall be put to death today. So King Solomon sent Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, and he struck him down and he died. First threat taken out. Now, a second threat. Verse 26. And to Abathar, the priest, the king said, Abiathar, the priest, the king said, go to Anathoth to your estate, for you deserve death. But I will not at this time put you to death because you carry the ark of the Lord God before David, my father, and because you shared in all my father's affliction. So Solomon expelled Abiathar from being priest of the Lord, thus fulfilling the word of the Lord in 1 Samuel 2 that he spoke in concerning the house of Eli and Shiloh. So number two, threat number two, gone. Okay, you follow him, got two more to go. Stick with me here, all right? Now we got to deal with Joab, okay? This murderer. When the news came to Joab that Hadonijah and Abiathar had been axed, for Joab had supported Adonijah, though he had not supported Absalom, Joab fled to the tabernacle of the Lord and caught hold of the horns of the altar. It's exactly what Adonijah did last chapter. And when it was told King Solomon, Joab has fled to the tent of the Lord, and behold, he is beside the altar, Solomon sent Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, saying, go strike him down. So Benaiah came to the tent of the Lord and said to him, 
The king commands, come out. But Joab said, no, I will die here. Then Benaiah brought the king word again, saying, thus said Joab, and thus he answered me. Just told him what happened. Verse 31, the king replied to him, do as he has said, strike him down and bury him. And thus take away from me and from my father's house the guilt for the blood that Joab shed without cause. The Lord will bring back his bloody deeds on his own head because without the knowledge of my father David, he attacked and killed with the sword two men more righteous and better than himself. Abner, the son of Ner, commander of the army of Israel, and Amasa, the son of Jether, commander of the army of Judah. So shall their blood come back on the head of Joab and on the head of his descendants forever. But for David and for his descendants and for his house and for his throne, there shall be peace, peace from the Lord forevermore. Then Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, went up and struck him down and put him to death. And he was buried in his own house in the wilderness. The king put Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, over the army in place of Joab. And king put Zadok, the priest, in the place of Abiathar. Three down, one more to go. Okay, here we go. Then the king sent and summoned Shimei, the guy who cursed David, and said to him, build yourself a house in Jerusalem and dwell there. This isn't a big area. And do not go out from there to any place whatever. For on the day you go out and cross the brook Kidron, know for certain that you shall die. So you got this circle of safety that you could live in in Jerusalem. I think it's close to the king so that Solomon could kind of watch him. Okay, um, He's going to let him live, but if he crosses, he will die. And what does Shimei say? Look at verse 38. And Shimei said to the king, what you say is good. As my Lord, the king has said, so will your servant do. So Shimei lived in Jerusalem many days. But it happened at the end of three years that two of Shimei's servants ran away to Achish, son of Maacah, king of Gath. And when it was told Shimei, behold, your servants are in Gath, Shimei rose and saddled the donkey and went to Gath to Achish to seek his servants. And Shimei went and brought his servants from Gath. And when Solomon was told that Shimei had gone from Jerusalem to Gath and returned, the king sent and summoned Shimei and said to him, Did I not make you swear by the Lord and solemnly warn you, saying, No, for certain that on the day you go out and go to any place, whatever, you shall die? And you said to me, What you say is good, I will obey. Why then have you not kept your oath to Yahweh, to the Lord? This has more to do with Shimei and the Lord and the commandment which I have given to you. The king also said to Shimei, you know in your own heart all the harm that you did to David, my father. So the Lord will bring back your harm on your own head. But King Solomon shall be blessed and the throne of David shall be established. Again, that's number three, before the Lord forever. Then, king then the king commanded Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, and he went out and struck him down and he died. So the kingdom was established in the hand of Solomon. How long did that take me? 15 minutes. My goodness. JFK rightly said, it is, it is an unfortunate fact that we can secure peace only by prepping for war. Interesting. 
That statement is not only true in the little things, but also in the most important things. Securing peace, establishing peace, is messy. It's not pretty. And chapter 2 is all about securing peace in the kingdom. The word established, as we saw, happens four times at the end of each section. And so God's kingdom is Solomon's kingdom. And in the text, we see two Two ways peace is secured, and these two ways are inseparable, and they're applicable to us in that the question how we ultimately are to secure peace with God. So Solomon's trying to secure peace of the kingdom with two principles, but these two principles also apply to us when it comes to us having peace with God in our relationship with the Lord. Two things that we need in order to secure peace. And the first thing that we see in the text is we secure peace by loving God and doing what he commands. Loving God and doing what he commands. Isn't that what David told Solomon? If you were on your deathbed, what would be your last words to your kids? Well, David's to Solomon is be strong and show yourself a woman. I'm just kidding. A man, right? He doesn't say a woman. He says, show yourself a man. It's another word for saying, be strong and be courageous. Now, how is Solomon to be strong and show himself a man? Is it by buying a Ford F-350, getting it raised, having some American flags on the back, buying a sweet grill, just grilling out, buying some guns, Lifting weights, being a womanizer. How? How is, what is, what is a strong man and what, is, what does it mean to show yourself a man? What does God say? It says, by keeping the charge of the Lord your God. By walking in his ways and keeping his statutes, his commandments, his testimonies. As it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do. That's what David tells him. In other words, be strong and show yourself a man by loving God and doing what he commands. That is the essence, young men, of masculinity. It's the essence of masculinity. True masculinity is loving God and doing what he commands. It isn't about how long you could grow a beard or how much weight you could bench, or how long you could belch, how much meat you could have, or how many girls you can get. It's not about expressing yourself with expressive individualism, just being your true you. That's not masculinity. That's not what God called you to be. True masculinity is to be strong, show yourself a man by, by loving God and doing what he commands. And young women, though Solomon is a man and he is addressing, David is addressing a man, it's true for you when it comes to true beauty and femininity. True femininity does not come from loving yourself and doing whatever you please or loving yourself and pursuing the best career that you could find. It's by loving God and doing what he commands. That is the essence of true femininity. It's It's being righteous. It's being godly. It's pursuing God's will for your life. Coming under his authority. What's true for the men is true for you. That's at the heart of it. Now, there's definitely distinctions and there's roles and there's differences. Beautiful. That is true. 
But that is the essence here. And these words from David are not original per se. They are pretty much the same exact command that the Lord gave Joshua. It's actually the same command that Moses, when he was about to die, gave Joshua. When he said this, the Lord said to Joshua, Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do all according to the law of Moses. My servant commanded you, do not turn from the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. Do not depart from the law. Do not depart from loving God and doing what he commands. And the point of the book of Joshua was to show the conquest of the land that God promised to Abraham. And Joshua was to secure peace, eternal rest for the people. But he didn't do that. The people didn't do that. And so here we have Solomon, 1 Chronicles 22.9, is supposed to be a man of rest. He's supposed to finish what the work that was already started by obeying God, by loving God and doing what he commands, which would bring about rest and prosperity. That's exactly the promise that we see in our text. David is commissioning his son to not depart from the way of the Lord, to obey the Mosaic covenant, to obey the law. And There are two blessings that come from this. We see this in the text. The first is it says that you may prosper. Who wouldn't want prosperity? You want to prosper as a king and as a nation? Obey the law. And then secondly, you will be given a dynasty that will never fade or end. You will secure peace forevermore. Eternal rest. That's the blessing for obedience. That would be the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant in 2 Samuel 7. So in short, what do we have here? We have the blessings of obedience, which is peace and prosperity and eternal kingship. Now, Bible trivia for you. What other king in the Bible, before King Solomon, before Joshua, was also given a charge to protect a kingdom by obeying God's command with the promise of Prosperity and peace and eternal life if he obeyed. You're like, hmm. It's kind of a trick question, but it's Adam. Adam was God's king of Eden called to subdue the earth, to take dominion as king, to keep all the threats out of the kingdom, And to obey his one command. And if he did that, he would secure eternal life for all of his offspring. But if he died, or if he he failed, he would surely die. Curses. Solomon, in the same way as a new Adam, is he going to protect the kingdom? Is he going to obey God and secure peace? Or is he going to fail and be banished? And this is how the story relates to us. We're not all kings like Solomon, but we're all born in Adam. All of you are in Adam. We're all born under the law. And we're called to the same thing. We're called to obey God, to love God, and obey his commands. By by keeping his commands. And we have the law of God expressed in the Ten Commandments. The law is good, it's righteous, it's holy. And the law shows us what's pleasing to God and how to love Him, right? And as believers, we're to love God by doing what He commands. 1 John 5, 3, For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. 
Are they burdensome to you? Loving God and doing what he commands leads to life. And loving self and doing what you desire leads to death. Right? And the mark of a good king was predicated on whether he obeyed or not. Where the king goes, so goes the nation. So what is Solomon going to do? Well, just like a good sports team, the best defense is the best offense. Hashtag 49ers. All right? Sorry, Packer fans. Really sad. I was rooting for the Packers. Their defense crushed it, right? And they won the game. And in this case, if offense is loving God and doing what he commands, then defense is eliminating all the threats to the kingdom, which we saw four of them, right? He needs to protect the kingdom in order to secure peace. Peace comes by obeying, loving God and doing what he commands. And then secondly, by hating sin and putting it to death. All right? Hating sin and putting it to death. Adam did not protect the kingdom. He did not cut off the head of the snake. So is Solomon. And as we saw, yeah, he pretty much did that. Okay? He did that, at least in this chapter. And the first was Adonijah, who is a snake-like figure. In fact, if you got your Bibles, go to 1 Kings 1.9. I totally missed this last week. 1 Kings 1.9. This is when Adonijah exalted himself. It says, Adonijah sacrificed sheep, oxen, and fattened cattle by the serpent's stone. Interesting. It's very, very slithery-like here. And instead of going to the king in chapter 2, what does this snake-like figure do? Who does he go to first? In chapter 2, he goes to Bathsheba, right? He goes to the woman. He doesn't go to the king. Just like the serpent didn't go to Adam. Went to Eve, right? And he's being deceptive. He's cunning. He's trying to usurp the throne. That's what Satan is doing. And so is Solomon going to cut the head off of the snake? Yes, he does. Yes, he does. Second is that Abiathar, who he banishes because he broke the fifth commandment. He did not submit to the king. He usurped his authority. Adonijah did the same thing. Joab is a murderer. He broke the sixth commandment. Thou shalt not murder. And so he is banished. He is cut off. Shimei, he cursed David and broke his oath. He broke the third commandment. Thou shalt not take the Lord's name in vain. And so he is put down. And what do we see here? The wages of sin is death, right? That's what it is. And so how do we secure peace with God? By loving him and doing what he commands, but secondly, by hating sin and putting it to death. That's how it applies to us. Now, I'm not saying to find your enemies and put them down like, like Solomon was doing. That's not what I'm saying here. I'm making a theological connection. You're like, that one guy bullied me. No, don't do that. <laughs> don't. It's not funny, okay? That's not what I'm saying here, okay? Sin resides in the heart, which we'll get to. Hating sin and putting it to death. Solomon protects the kingdom, right? So what is sin? Sin is any transgression to the law of God. It's not obeying God or conforming to his law. And so, of course, just as Solomon is to establish peace, there must also be war. There must also be, things need to be eliminated. Threats need to be eliminated. Just like some of you, your type, your type A people, Let's just use a silly illustration. When you come to your room and it's a mess, you have to clean it out, right? You, you have to organize it. You have to establish peace. And the way that you do that is by eliminating clutter, all right? You have to get those things out of the way, right? If you want to establish peace with your grades, 
you have to get rid of wrong thinking. You have to study, right, and establish peace or with your coach, right? In sports, you want to establish or secure the starting position. You need to perform. You're the best that you can, but also get rid of bad habits. You have to eliminate things that jeopardize your security. The two greatest threats to us are sin and death. Those are the two enemies that threaten our peace with God. If we're friends with sin, we cannot be friends with God. Just like the race of men in Lord of the Rings cannot have peace unless Sauron is destroyed. Either they need to kill Sauron or be killed. Or in Narnia, I've been reading the books, they're awesome. They will never experience Christmas again unless the white witch is destroyed. Either kill or be killed. The universe cannot prosper unless Thanos is destroyed. You either got to take him out or be killed. And you cannot have peace with God or peace in life unless the sin in your life is killed and put down. Either sin will be killing you or you will be killing sin. Those are the options. Paul states this in Romans 8, 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. He's like, make war on sin. Hate sin and put it to death. It's a threat to the peace and, re- and relationship you have with God. This is our calling as believers. We guard the kingdom by obeying God and killing sin. Knowing that sin springs out of the heart of man. Now here at this point, these two points that I've made intersect. Because to love and obey God is to kill sin. And to kill sin is to love and obey God. You can't have one without the other. In fact, if you break one, you break the other. It's just like James 2.10. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. See? And now I hope you're starting to see why you can't seem to maybe find peace in your life. What leaves you anxious? What are you trying to establish by your own strength, this peace that you long for, this peace that I long for? You Maybe you seek this peace in the world, but it's not real peace, whatever it offers. It's not real security. There's nothing in this world that can kill the main threat to your security with God or peace with God. It can't kill sin. It can't kill death. All the world offers is either distractions from your problems or tells you to just pursue your problems and live it up while you can, right? Why not? So the world doesn't offer the peace that we need. And secondly, the peace that we need is not found in you. You cannot achieve it. You cannot protect it. You cannot guarantee it. You can't manufacture it. Peace doesn't come from a man-centered religion. Your good works can't give you peace. They can't cover. You're like Adam and Eve trying to cover themselves with fig leaves. It's not good enough. It doesn't work. It isn't enough to pass the test of God's holiness when you stand before him. There's nothing that you can do to secure peace. Yeah, you could secure your, spart- uh, uh, your starting position or your grades by working hard in this life. But when it comes to your relationship with God, that does not apply. 
You cannot do it. There's nothing you can do. Peace with God cannot be achieved without eliminating sin. And the problem is, here's the problem. (laughs) Sin resides in us. It's our hearts that is the problem. So if we're like, yeah, King Jesus eliminates sin and death, then we're like, oh no, I belong with that. I, I belong in that. I deserve to die. So that leaves us with only one way to secure peace. The whole world, all religions, every philosophy, even atheistic philosophies say that salvation, peace, security is found by looking inward, by looking to yourself. But the Christian faith, the gospel is the opposite. It says that you could have peace and security by looking outside of yourself to a redeemer that you need. You are not the redeemer. You need a redeemer. And a redeemer who is perfectly righteous, who loved God and does all that he commands. One who is truly and perfectly, one who could truly and perfectly love God and obey perfectly. And one who hates sin so much so that he puts it to death in order to secure our peace with God. This isn't King Solomon. We know that he fails in the end. Romans 5.1 tells us, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our good works, through our political governments, through our parents, through our Lord Jesus Christ. That is our Redeemer. That is the Redeemer that we need. And this is the good news of the Bible. It's the good news that you need. Because we're all anxious wrecks all the time. We need peace. And you need peace with God ultimately. Because you will stand before Him. And the peace that God offers surpasses all knowledge. It's a peace that cannot separate from Him. It's a peace that comes from Jesus who lived the perfect life. Who loved God perfectly. And then died in your place. He bore our sin in His body on the cross. And took the wrath of God. The punishment of God. Was eliminated so that we could be brought in. Right? We were the threat to peace, but he bore our sin and took our punishment. He's the perfect king who lives and dies for his people so that we can have peace with God. That's awesome. That's the good news. That's that's who you need. That's who this passage is pointing to. But that's not all. He rose again from the dead. He defeated sin and death. He wiped out its power, the power of the devil and the power of sin. And this is good news because the first two points, love God and do what he commands, I'm sure you're like, well, I haven't done that this week. Second point, hate sin and put it to death. (laughs) Certainly haven't done that this week. So you need good news. The good news is in Jesus, who not only dies for you, but then secures for you and uh, a power to enable you to obey. That is the Holy Spirit. He gives us the Holy Spirit, who then changes our hearts to hate our sin and put it to death, to love God and do what he commands joyfully. Joyfully. This is where good works come into play. They don't save us, but they are the response to the gracious news that we have received in Christ. Because of what Christ has done, now we obey. Now we eliminate threats to the kingdom. Some of you have threats and you're coddling it. You're coddling your sin. It's like those SeaWorld instructors that, that just hang out with killer whales and then they, the killer whales attack them. They're like, I didn't see that coming. They're like, it's a killer whale. It's going to kill you. And some of you, are, you're, you're coddling your sin. You're not dealing with it. 
You're not killing it. You're not taking it to the cross. You want to love God and obey His commands? You need motivation for that? Look to the cross. You want to kill your sin? Hate it all the more? Look to the cross where it was nailed. See, the gospel is the medicine that we need. It is the peace that we need. And securing peace with God is by grace alone in Christ alone. And it comes by faith, trusting in Jesus, casting your whole life upon him by faith. And he, then now we live the Christian life by faith. We live by faith. We love him. We do what he commands. We kill our sin. Why? Because we love him. Not, not so that he may love us. He already loves us. We do it because of what he's done for us by the power of the Holy Spirit. JFK said, it is an unfortunate fact that we can secure peace only by preparing for war. But what the gospel teaches us is, is this. It is a fortunate fact that we can secure peace only by Jesus winning the war for us. That's the good news. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Solomon, he's not the redeemer. Joshua, not the redeemer. Adam, not the redeemer. It is Jesus. And just as Solomon secured the kingdom, at least in this sense, by eliminating the threats, one day Jesus will come back. He will come again. Justice is being delayed, but he will mete out justice. And those who are in Christ will be received to everlasting life. And I pray that you are a part of that. Otherwise, you will be eliminated. You will be cast out. Look to Jesus. Look to him and be saved. Father God, thank you so much for tonight. Thank you for this passage. Awesome text. Lord, I pray that we would love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That we would seek to do what you command. And that we would hate our sin and put it to death all the more. By the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for providing Jesus and the Holy Spirit because without him, we can never do any of the law. We can never obey the law. But now that we've been set free from the law in Christ, we are free to obey it. We have a new heart, a new Holy Spirit to help us. So Lord, empower us to be visible examples of the good news of Jesus Christ here in Redeemer Students. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys are dismissed.